Hello and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast from the Manchester Era News. Happy New Year to you United fans. I'm your host, Rich Fay. And on today's podcast, I will be joined by Samuel Luckhurst as we look back to United's defeat at Nottingham Forest. We'll take a look at the transfer situation as well as the takeover one as well. Samuel, you had the pleasure of being at the City Grounds. Happy New Year, Rich. Yeah, Happy as New well. Year. I mean, Indeed. is it a Happy New Year for United fans if we'd recorded this? Probably not. No. If we'd recorded this last week, we'd probably be giddy with excitement saying, sign the contract, United are back. Where do you want your statue? One step forward, two steps back, as has been the case all season, though. Um, I guess there was no real surprise either with the fact that United lost to Forest because they do seem beatable against any opposition at the moment. No, my, my dad actually messaged me after the game, just one word, shocking, and I said, it, it isn't though, there's there's nothing shocking about a, a United defeat these days, uh, irrespective of the opposition, that's, that's now 14 defeats this season, that's two more than in the entirety of last season. Uh, they've lost as many games as they did in the Premier League last season. And I think the, the, what was, I suppose, quite striking about the Forest defeat wasn't so much that they lost, but again, it was the manner of it. And just with that that half-time substitution, uh, I think when we saw that McTominay was the only one warming up towards the end of the first half, we had a sense that, OK, he's, he's coming on. And, uh, you know, maybe, maybe I was overestimating Ten Hag in, at that time, but... We've, we all saw Ten Hag's game management last season, how good it was. And he can be innovative. He can um, make these tactical adjustments that have an impact on the game. But that has deserted him this season. That That is a really big problem. It's As I said, it's almost as much a problem as as the defeats. And then, obviously, McTominay's warming up at halftime. He comes on. And as we're seeing the players come out of the tunnel, it's like, Anthony's there. I'm thinking, OK, I, I'd have... He'd have been the one I'd have taken off, and probably a lot of um, a lot of United fans would have taken off. And then you find out it's Maynou, and I, I just thought that, but right, this this has really got to work because that that's going to be an unpopular move anyway. But also the methodology behind it just seems so suspect. And then of course, what happens is that Forest score two goals where there is there's a void in midfield, and and Ten Hag disputed that afterwards. But you only have to look at the manner of those goals and the pairing there as well. I mean, it's it's lest we forget Ericsson McTominay as a as a midfield axis. Ten Hag abandoned that after they conceded six against Manchester City last season, and it was never going to be a long term uh, partnership anyway. And okay, with the midfield, I, I think I, I, it's getting to the point where I don't think there's a pairing that is going to be suitable for United or the right pairing. For the remainder of the season, that that is just a fundamental issue that they'll probably only resolve in the summer when uh, they they can you know freshen it up and and make the right um, the right reinforcements. But looking at that first half in the context of that first half alone, and we don't we're not privy to Kobe Mainu's conditioning, we're not privy to the training sessions, but he was not a problem. And the first shot Forrest had at goal in that game was blocked by. Kobe Mainu. So of course, when they have two shots at goal, when there isn't anyone near them, and the midfielders are off the pace, and they both go in, it's going to look bad. And it's, it's after the game, it, we, we we're asking the same question of each other. It's like, what's the stat? And there's always a new stat that really reflects horrendously on United, where they they find spectacular ways to plunge to new depths. <laughs> And 
and as as I've said before as well, like in terms of something like the player ratings, it's not, it's it's you know they're they're kind of almost becoming an afterthought because that player, this player, any other player, they've played badly for so long, and what's the solution? I suppose, and I guess the other thing that maybe doesn't concern me, but from a United point of view, you look at. Ten Hag, every week he's saying the injured players, the injured players. Also, we've got 13 or 14 players. We'll have the momentum, we'll have the consistency. That was a big part of us overperforming last season, he called it. Where yeah, to like, put that on this run and they took advantage of what was, you know, a floundering pack in the Premier League. But Ten Hag's put more pressure on himself because when these injured players come back, you expect them to be this magic one solution. And if you look at early in the season, Casemiro was poor before his injury. Mason Mount's been ineffectual at United. Even Martinez wasn't the player was last season before his before his injury. If these injured players come back, United don't improve. There is no mitigation there for Ten Hag, is there? No. And Casemiro in his last Premier League start, he was hooked at half-time against Brentford because he was he, he was he was dreadful. He was uh, heavily culpable for that goal. He, he was performing badly before then. I think with Martinez, of the long-term players who've, who've been absent, he's the only one where you say, yeah, they've they've missed him. He didn't start the season well, but he was clearly still being troubled by by his, his, his foot injury. Mount has not been a good signing. I think a lot of people were quite dubious of Mount coming to United. And Ten Hag said on, I think on Friday, described them as five or six new signings. Which again, it's it's not the kind of rhetoric fans want to hear. If there were literally five or six new signings coming in after um, a, a group has come in to invest in the club, then I think they would get excited. But I don't think anybody's going to be excited about Tyrell Malassia coming back into the United squad with well, the greatest of respect to him. Of those players who are injured, who actually gets into the team for you, do you think Casemiro does on the principle of his reputation last season? Or do you think it is... Only Martinez, who's got an actual chance of improving that starting eleven. I think Casemiro probably has to because he's it, it, for the balance of it, and it would be. I, I think everybody would like to see him play with Kobe Mainu in a competitive game and see how they'd get on because that that does have potential as a partnership. It's not going to be long term, just by virtue that Casemiro is is turning thirty two next month and. He has to come to second season syndrome, but I wouldn't be rushing to get Mason Mount back in the team. And th- this always happens with players who spend a spell on the s- sidelines. Their their reputation repairs itself just without them doing anything because pe- it gives the illusion that oh they're they're being missed if things aren't going well. And of, of course things are not going well at United, but there has to be method to them coming back in. Martinez is an automatic pick, as you said. I think Casemiro has to be because the alternative is Sofjan Amrabat, who has not been a good signing and is, is going to be out on the picture for probably a month now, more or less, best part of the month uh, with, with AFCON and, and representing Morocco. But going back to the, the injury excuse, Ten Hag keeps saying it's not an excuse, but he's bringing up it up so, so often that he is essentially playing it as an excuse card. And he's not the first manager to do that. I'd say, in fact, every manager has done it and they they use that method as well. I mean, Eddie Howe didn't get much sympathy recently when he said, oh, we've been hit harder than any other team. Like, boo-hoo, Eddie. You were bought out by by, by a state a couple of years ago and you have um, you, you have spent a fair bit as well. And if, you know, it's, it's not... It's no one's fault but your own or Dan Ashworth's if you decide to let Chris Wood go and he returns to score a hat-trick against you. Or you sell Alcina Langer. Yeah, <laughs> welcome, welcome to the big league, etc. But um, with with United, what I would say is that 
their attack has not been hit too much by injuries uh, this season and they've still been impotent in front of goal by and large. At the weekend, it's different in that they've got both out-and-out strikers missing. But again, that goes back to the poor planning. They did not sell Marshall when they should have done. They did not buy a proven goal scorer in the summer when they should have done. It has got so bad at United to the point where, and he was missed, uh, Hoyland, but they, this is a striker who scored one goal in 15 Premier League games, and it's like the world has ended. That he's not, he's not at the club, um, he's, he's not at the City Ground for the Forest game, and of course we know that it's going to be Rashford up front, it's going to be Anthony on the right, but that's part of Ten Hag's problem. It's it's too predictable. Like Forest won't have known, I imagine, that Hoyland was going to be out, but it's not like they have to rejig much to adapt. It's like, oh well, Anthony's playing. Yeah, rubbing their hands with glee. Rashford's up front. Okay, he scored quite a good goal, but I think the manner of that goal, it was it was in that left-hand channel. It was him in his prime position, essentially, at that point. Um, I don't think the centre-halves would have been unduly concerned that, that Rashford was going to be United centre-forward. And then you look at one when it was 1-0 and who's warming up on the touchline, but Donny van der Beek. And I'm just thinking... This is, it's, it's, I mean, this isn't the understatement of, of, of this very early year, but it's just not a good look if you're the manager. Not at all. I think as well, you know, another key issue for United is they conceded so quickly after drawing level again. We've spoken a lot of the mentality so often this season. I know when we were at the Villa game, we had that sort of list of all the times they've conceded twice in quick succession. Yeah, a goal glutz, yeah. But then it's also switching off after you've just scored as well, because I know the, there's the cliche you're most vulnerable when you've just scored and United were definitely looking to push. I mean, if they'd gone and got a second, you'd probably play, praise Ten Hag for saying that they went and, and got the game by the scruff of the neck. But ultimately they, they switched off, they've carved open far too easily. And, if you look back at like, oh, Morgan Gibbs-White is in so much space. Why do you think it is that United just have this sort of mentality issue and their in-game management is still so problematic? I think there are just some players there that they don't have the the character or the wherewithal to to cope with those testing, um, testing circumstances uh, during a game. Looking back at the Gibbs-White goal... <sighs> I couldn't make up my mind at first whether it was Juan Masako who was culpable or McTominay because they both should have been aware of him. I think Johnny Evans was actually literally pointing him out as well that there's a guy on the edge of the area who someone is going to have to attend to. Looking back on it on match of the day, I mean, Juan Masako can see him like where it's the, the United are conceding goals at the moment that five aside teams do not concede. And these, these are not like. Uh, semi-amateur five-side teams. These are just like a bunch of work colleagues who, who do it for, for for the sheer enjoyment. If Wan if the danger is there, you go towards it. Wan Bissaka must he must see the danger just through his eyeline where he's looking, and he doesn't go to Gibbs White. And look, we can talk about Wan Bissaka's character and you know defects there uh, for, for a long time, but he's he's not the biggest problem at United. But that is part of the problem. And you think back to this time last year, Ten Hag had come off that New Year's Eve win at Wolves where man management, in-game management, it was seen as an absolute masterclass and rightly so because he dropped Rashford for disciplinary reasons. He brought him on at half-time. Rashford scored the winning goal. Like When you're hot, you're hot. And Rashford was at that time and so was Ten Hag as well. He was he was affecting games. Uh, he'd, he'd read Ronaldo the right act. He'd seen off Ronaldo his position of authority was 
possibly as high as it could be. And also the mentality in the team was was spot on. It was mid-January that they they beat City coming from 1-0 down. And that day, as, as fortunate as the equalising goal was, it was City whose, whose focus went and United capitalised on it and scored quickly a few minutes later. But this is these have been recurring themes for United season. The just concede if they're not conceding um, after scoring quickly, if they're not conceding goal gluts, they are conceding goals from from cutbacks. And uh, Mark Ogden, I mean, he was, he was quite interrogative of, of Ten Hag afterwards. His post-match press conference, he said the same mistakes of mistakes are being repeated. Happened against Bayern Munich. Happened against Galatasaray. Why and. Ten Hag's first thing is about, oh, we have to swap. We have to swap players. And it's going back to the injury excuse. But these things were happening when they had a foolish squad at the start of the season when, look, if you're losing 3-2 at home to Galatasaray and you're conceding goals that have already been conceded earlier in the season as they had been against Bayern Munich, Brighton, Arsenal, there is a fundamental problem. That was what, early October? We're now in early January. Whatever his message to the players whatever the coaches are telling them to do, the message is just not getting through. And look, the fall is on both sides there. The coaches are not being strident enough probably with the players and the players are just not taking it on board. And look, there are a lot of players in that squad that we know they can't be there next season. Their their number was up uh, some time ago. But there's a hell of a lot of... um, We're only halfway through the season and it is still salvageable. But there's every chance it'll get worse before it gets better. That is, yeah, maybe the damning indictment for United at the moment. I suppose if you're trying to have a silver lining, you try and clutch at straws, it is that there has been new investment in the club. It needs to be ratified and signed off by the Premier League yet. But David Brailsford was there at the City Ground and sat next to Alex Ferguson. They also have a big job on their hands, don't they? And where do you start? Because it is structural, it's deep-rooted, it's not as easy as they come in, it's a magic one solution, United change overnight, it's going to have to take gradual change. Do you still think that for all the criticism that's valid of this United team, their failings on the pitch, that unless those sort of structural changes happen in the hierarchy, that this is going to be in this cycle for forever, really? Oh, absolutely. The, the priority has to be the structure. They've, they've got to get that right. They've got to have uh, different personnel in uh, they need a recruitment specialist, which I think they will get. It'll be interesting Keys to see Voss. who that choice is. Keys Voss. It's was, it was funny that, I mean, the fact that Keys Voss, he, I know he gives the illusion that Old Trafford is his second home, but he isn't there as often as he uh, gives that impression. But it was no surprise whatsoever to see him there for the Boxing Day game uh, when, when everyone knew that Dave Brailsford was going to be there. But I, I suspect that Ineos will be giving uh, any uh, future SEG clients a, a swerve unless there's a a compelling case to sign one of them and as i said they they've they've got to get a recruitment specialist in they've got to figure out whether to um, retain john murta in a more administrative role uh what will that role be there already is a head of football operations at the club dave dave harrison who um sorry dave harrison who, who joined joined last season from from everton uh, Darren Fletcher's technical director remit. Are they are they happy with that? Is is can can that be finessed or is 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 that to be just done away with altogether? Um, I think there's merit in terms of keeping you know, some some of these people on board, but there's also merit in in other departments as well, just away from the structural side of it of you know, freshening it up because there are some people. There are a lot of 
good people at Manchester United who do really good jobs, but there are also some people there who are frankly stealing a living. And I'm not just talking about some of the players. Um, you know, there are certain people that you're supposed to have dealings with there, and one one has barely ever spoken to them for one reason or another. And so the structure has to be the right has to be right. Um, and of course, in terms of recruitment, they've got to be a lot more fastidious with that. They've got to do proper due diligence. Um, that's not been the case. I mean, with the Van, the Van der Beek news yesterday, it, it was obviously not not a surprise whatsoever. It had been in the post for a while. But when you look at their signings since that summer of 2019, where it was, you know, recruitment reboot, we want British players. The three senior signings that summer, one has gone. They wanted one gone last summer in Maguire. One could be going this summer in one Bissaka. The following year, it's no British signings and the senior players, two of them have gone, Cavani and Tellez, and the third has gone, uh, Van der Beek, could be gone for good. I say senior players because Ahmad and, and Palistri were teenagers at that time. Uh, Solskjaer's final summer, Sancho is going, Ronaldo is gone, Varane is probably going this year. You look at that, that's what, I think apart from Fernandez, who was a mid-season signing, He's and you'd probably say he's the only one of those players still at the club who is guaranteed to be at United next season because with Maguire, you don't know what could happen. As I said, with Wan-Bissaka, um, that's up in the air. You look at how different those summers are in terms of the personnel they're going for. It's all over the place. And you yeah, the results. The how many of them have been successful? One, Fernandez. And of course, that's without mentioning this Ten Hag era where there has been this um, favouritism, frankly, for or preference for players with a Dutch association, whether they've played for the Netherlands national team or played for Ajax or played in the Eredivisie or their agent is Keyes Voss. And that that is just no way to go about running a football club. And we, we all said that at the start of last season and we probably maintained it after they... You know, had that uproarious defeat of Liverpool when Tyrell Malassia came in for his full debut and did brilliantly and Martinez had a terrific night and Martinez has been I think had he played been, if he was playing this season I don't think United's results would be as bad and he'd probably be the only other player from these recent signings in the last four or five years along with Ferdinand sorry Fernandes that you would bracket as an outright success but you can't say that of Martinez when he's He's been missing for nearly nearly four months now uh, in his second season. But I still maintain, you can say he's been a successful signing just on the strength of his first season. And really, the way they've operated it, I get it, they've got a veto. The club have a right to a veto. The manager has a right to a veto. Um, there have been times where that has worked out quite well in the, you know, the club, I think quite rightly. They vetoed a move for Hakim Ziyech last, uh, last summer. Um, in hindsight, if they could have got him for, on, on loan instead of Ansi, that might have been the right way about it. But at the time, I, don't, I think people saw United going for Hakim Ziyech. Yeah, there's Arnautovic as well. Arnautovic, exactly. Um, not good. But then you've got the time when the, the recruitment department are saying, sign Pau Torres, and Ten Hag is saying, no, I want Lissandro Martinez. And at the time, that could have gone one way or the other, but that has been, that's been vindicated. But that's, that's an isolated case. Um, yeah, the, where's the scrutiny in with Andre Nana in the sense that Ten Hag would have known he was leaving on a free and he was leaving the same summer that he was leaving Ajax why not get him there why not be decisive and then 12 months later they're spending nearly £50 million on him 
And unfortunately for them, there was no player who cost United more in the Champions League than than the goalkeeper. You only have to look at the mistakes he made. So, I mean, you you could write a book or talk all day about the, the recruitment at United in the last, um, I'd say, fifteen years. I'd, I'd, I'd go back to post post Ronaldo. Yeah, um, well, it's always sometimes a myth, isn't it? When you talk talk about this sort of decade of despair, United were still on the decline before Ferguson had retired, weren't they? I mean, in terms of track yeah. record, was poor. Yeah. Fergie was getting a lot out of the players at his disposal, but it's not as if that was an amazing United team, the last one that won the title either. No, the last the last two teams, they um, those achievements were enhanced by the milestone. 2011, it was the 19th title. They'd overtaken Liverpool. 2013, it was Ferguson's last title. It was the 20th title, a nice round number. Um, but that 2011 team... I maintain that was probably Ferguson's worst title-winning side, but the quirk of it was that they also got to an FA Cup semi-final and Champions League final. But there was so much mitigation around them advancing at that point that season, and also the Premier League. The quality of the season was was pretty poor. I think United might have ended that season with with eighty points, and they finished nine points clear. It was it was not a competitive Premier League season. It's nowhere. Um, as intense as it is now or when 2016-17 when you had Klopp, Conte, Guardiola, Mourinho, Pochettino all managing the same league where the the, the quality was really ramped up from the previous couple of seasons when when Leicester had won it in in 2016 where, I mean, as as miraculous as it was for Leicester to have won the Premier League title it had to have been a low quality season and it, it very much was. Um, but United can't get away with that now, and they have been exposed by these other clubs. As Chelsea have been exposed as well. That if you, I think maybe ten years ago, not not ten years ago, sorry, um, eight or nine years ago, when United were spending quite quite a lot of money under Van Gaal, I think there was there was a sense that you know United won't go twenty odd years without winning the title because they've got the financial clout and the money will make the difference. We have come to discover that it really doesn't work out that way. Uh, unlike 20 odd years ago with Chelsea, when, when, when Bramvich took over, you knew that the money was going to make a difference and it did quite quickly, but they also did get it right with some very, very key appointments and also good, stating the obvious, good recruitment. Well, it's often, I've noticed myself that when a team spends loads, loads of money, it's very easy to write off their achievement. But United have proof that you've got to invest the money properly as well because yeah. it's not just having the money, it's spending it properly. But we will discuss transfers in part two and three of today's podcast. Join us after the short break. We're launching a brand new bite-sized midweek audio-only podcast, bringing you the latest happenings from Old Trafford in a much more informal format, covering topical news, online gossip, transfers and personal tales as a roundup of everything you might have missed surrounding Manchester United. Join host Tyrone Marshall and myself, Rich Fay, as we go inside the club, separating the fact from the fiction and giving you an edge on your mates down the pub. Hello and welcome back to the Manchester is Red podcast for the Manchester Evening News. I'm Rich Fay, joined by Samuel Luckhurst. Samuel, I think we both said sort of before the festive period that, you know, if United had lost to West Ham, Villa and Nottingham Forest, there would maybe be insurmountable pressure on Eric Ten Hag's job. They lost two of them. But is there any point in changing the manager right now while there is this 
takeover situation occurring and like you said bigger decisions probably to be made at the club rather than the manager right now see i i think there is a there is probably a compelling argument now to change I, i'm still not at that point of writing the ten Hag must must go piece had they lost both games last week then i don't see how they couldn't not have sacked him they'd have had what 15 defeats and lost six games in december and look manager's been sacked for less than what we've seen from United this season if if a manager had presided over this kind of season at Bayern Munich or Real Madrid they would have they'd have been long gone and I get it that United operate in a different way and there's a lot of context to it as well and uh, because there's been a power vacuum there as well that that has actually made Ten Hag's job secure we can't say that now because although Ineos is still waiting for the regulatory approval, any big decision that United are due to take has to be signed off by them. And, okay, yeah, if, if if Ten Hag is to go, it's going to be Ineos saying to Joel Glazer, we want a change of manager, can we have that signed off? It's not going to be John Murta going to Joel Glazer and saying, I think we need a change because everyone knows he's on borrowed time and whenever... That there is a, a man, whenever the next managerial change comes at Manchester United, I think it's safe to assume that it's not going to be John Murtagh um, presiding over that process as he did with, with Ten Hag in, in 2022. But the argument is that because January is so clear, that I think they can have technically a maximum of four games because if they were to draw with Wigan, it triggers a replay. They've got the Tottenham game. If they get through in the FA Cup, it's a fourth round. But realistically, I think we all expect them to have three games uh, this this month unless 18th place Wigan of, of League One somehow um, p- p- pull off a shot next Monday and where it's so clear there's there's the argument that change manager new coach comes in he coaches the players within, within an inch of their lives uh, with a view to having a very good run in where they could finish in the top four and possibly win the FA Cup the the drawback, if they were to do that, is that I don't know who that new manager would be because there is not a compel- there's not a compelling available candidate out there, and I think that's the that is now, now that Ineos are pretty much on board, that's what's keeping Ten Hag in in the role. You look at Graham Potter; he didn't have the um, the personality to handle Chelsea, and okay, I think he was probably the wrong man at the wrong club at the right at the wrong time. And that wasn't entirely his fault. But he he doesn't have the personality to manage Manchester United. I'm not convinced of that whatsoever. Uh, Zindin Zidane, if he was so you know such a compelling uh, coaching candidate for these other big clubs, he'd have been appointed by another big club by now. His situation at Real Madrid was so, so unique. And even United know that as well. He's never been in the running to take over at United. Even going back to 2018, when it was all kicking off between Mourinho and Pogba, it was just... He was he was the available name, so of course he was going to be on on the top of Bookie's chalkboards. Um, who else is there? Like Hansi Flick, is there going to be a demand for him? I don't think so. Uh, Hulen Lopetegui couldn't hack it at Wolves. Why, why would you have him at, at United? There's there's no one out there who there's not a coach out there who is unattached at the moment 
Um, Neil Warnock, you wouldn't have him either. No, nobody is is a compelling case to come in. Whereas with Van Gaal in uh, 2015-16... Well, it sounds 16, like Wayne Rooney's about to be sat yeah. like Bernico, so... <laughs> I would... I would be... I'd be extremely worried. In fact, Bruce Sepp saying he has been sacked now, so... Oh, has he? Wow. wow. <laughs> While we're on air, so... <laughs> There's he coming. You're not gonna, you're not gonna get me making a, a case for that. But that's, um, I think, possibly the, the the funniest thing about that. I mean, it's not funny that someone has lost their job at all. But I t- the funny figure in all that is uh, the, the the clown Gary Cook, who used to be at Manchester City. And when you think of what he said about Rooney earlier in the season, that appointment, my goodness, why, why is he even at a football club? Well, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess to bring that onto Ten Hag, though. Do you think there is an argument to say, look, Ten Hag's almost had his hands tied working in this structure. Does he not deserve a chance in this new look United to prove himself as a manager almost again? Because I know like it's being used in favour of Potter. It said, well, Potter was part of this, this setup at Chelsea where he's destined to fail. Do you not think there's an argument to say, well, Ten Hag's had similar at United where, look, if you put him in a f- proper football structure, he might still be the, the man for United or you're not convinced sort of bottom line on that no because I think in fairness I think United have had a structure it's not it's not right and it's it, it needs fixing but I mean, th- there's the occasional pundit who goes oh they don't even have a sporting director well no they don't by title but they do have a football director like they're, they're pretty much the same thing it's just yeah you get they've rebatched it yeah it. yeah yeah precisely but they've got Head of football operations, head of recruitment, head of scouting, head of uh, data. They've got a uh, football transfer negotiator. I think literally every, they've got a technical director. I think every position you'd expect a big club to have in a structure, they have got someone in it as far as I can see. I, I don't think I'm really missing out anything. Okay, at the moment, the chief executive is an interim, but I think that's going to be addressed pretty soon uh, with, with Brailsford and Jean-Claude Blanc coming onto the football board. And they they need to you know, clarify who's who's going to occupy that role because it's an extremely important role as well. But they need they need different personnel in there. They need a recruitment specialist because just look at the look at the hit rate in the last ten to fifteen years. Um, it's it's dire. It, it, it's so so poor. And they didn't have the courage when they were when they, when they made that inaugural football director appointment. One they couldn't even call him a director of football for whatever reason. But also, they looked to someone on their own doorstep. And they were telling us around the time of the um, Solskjaer's permanent appointment that they were close to appointing a technical director. I mean, the, the the title kept changing names. It was a technical director. It was a director of football. It was a football director in the end. And then it was a football director and a technical director appointed simultaneously. And there's been merit in that because Dar- Darren Fletcher... It's not that he knows the club or anything like that. He's a vital conduit in that he he is he's across the academy, so he'll know which players from the academy um, that they've got an eye on to come into the into the first team, come come into first team training. Mert has got a lot of experience. Uh, he, he jointly ran the academy at one point, so there is a, there is some merit to having Murta in a more administrative role at the football club because of course Ineos are not just taking over the first team. It's obviously the academy. It's the women's team as well. Murta helped recruit the players uh, for the women's team when um, they entered the the second tier of the WSL in in 2018. So I I've I, I don't have a great deal of sympathy for Ten Hag at the moment. The injuries, yeah. If if you've got that, some like ten or eleven players missing at Forest, fair enough. That is going to 
take its toll. But you look at the team that they you look at the team they put out in these games where they lose, you still look at it and you think that should be if they're all performing, that should be good enough mm. to win the game. Well that's what annoys me the most is that some of the teams they've played, even weaker sides would should be beating them. You can't keep on saying that look because Mar because Martez isn't playing, that's why we've lost to Forest. That is just fundamentally not good enough because they didn't create enough chances. The midfield was ineffectual. Strikers didn't have enough of the ball. You can't pin it all on, like you said, maybe a centre mid and a centre back be missing because you still have enough. No, and he's I think one of the other issues with him, or one of the problems he's got, is that in, in press conferences, is too the stock phrase is coming out too often, and also it feels like he's he's not been a strident his criticism of the players. One because the players were getting fed up of it, and I think he clearly got wind of it. But that kid glove approach, look where it got Solskjaer. And also Ten Hag was brought in as, as a disciplinarian, someone who was going to be really authoritative. If you start compromising on that, you're a dead man walking. And I don't, I don't agree with the, that way of approaching it. And he, at the moment he's saying about, we've, you look at the top teams in the league, we went head to head with them. And he's talking about Arsenal, they lost in added time. Liverpool, they drew. Villa, they won from coming behind. Fair enough. But also of the top four, the other top four teams last season, Arsenal beat them, City beat them, Newcastle beat them. Newcastle beat them twice this season. But it's also and it's well, not about it's not about the top teams. Mm. They've lost against Forest. Exactly. This is the Solskjaer thing. Solskjaer beat City three times yeah. in the same season. Doesn't mean he was the best manager in the world. No. Do, do, beating the best teams counts for very little if you're losing to teams in the bottom routine. And especially if you, especially if you could end uh, this evening. We're talking on the Tuesday night. They United could drop down to eighth. And eighth doesn't even get you Europe. And every week there seems to be a little detail emerging, like something like that, just dropping down a little bit more on the table where it counts considerably against the manager. And it, Ineos must be looking at that and thinking, you know, do, do we change? I don't think it's, I don't think, well, if seen, it was to happen, I don't think there would be this outcry. Yeah, well, we've seen previously, haven't we, but... Some managers are only sacked when their team's mathematically out of the Champions League. That's happened for United. Yeah. They could be sacked when United mathematically can't qualify for Champions League again. When they're out of the League Cup, or they're out of the League Cup, FA Cup. If they're to be dumped out of the FA Cup as well, then you are literally just playing for maybe in fifth this season and try to get one of those fortuitous places back in the Champions League. I mean, how bad would it have to get for, for change to happen? Because you made the case that United could potentially only play two matches this month. Surely that's the perfect time to bring a new manager in so we can actually work with the players. Yeah. I know some will be away at AFCON, some players will maybe have a, a break or some time away you know, from, from the club as well just because of the fixture schedule. But if you don't sack the manager this month, when do you actually do it before the end of the season? Do you think it has to get to that stage where, look, United are out of all competitions and they mathematically can't qualify for the Champions League? But in that case, do you bring a manager in before the end of the season or just bring them in in the summer? I, I genuinely do not think they will lose to Wigan next week. But if they do lose, right, clip to, that up. <laughs> but if they do if they do lose to the 18th place team in League One, I don't see why or how he can be coming back into Carrington the next morning or the next day. I think at that point, yeah, the game is is well and truly up uh, because just you can imagine just imagine the sheer embarrassment of a, of a defeat like that. But as I said, I don't think it will happen. So then you're looking ahead to the the Tottenham game, there's a chance Ratcliffe will be at that game and already we've got this Moyes-Fergie-style scenario that United are getting hammered in the Moyes season and the camera pans to Ferguson. Already we've got United losing and the camera is panning to 
Sir Dave Brailsford. Um, it's 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 going to be a pretty despite the lack of games, I think it's going to be quite a fascinating month to see how United operate, what dealings they do in term, in the transfer market because th- that's almost becoming an afterthought. But amid their um, their their dreadful form, that they they need a goal scorer in. They need some, they actually need to make a signing this summer, someone who's going to come in, and whether it's a short term fix or a long term fix, but someone who's actually going to you know, bump, uh, you know, bump up the numbers in terms of goals output because their tops, their top scores this season jointly have got six goals each. That's that, that that's appalling midway through a season for for Manchester United, um, and of course they, they, there are players that they need to sell this month as well uh, permanently. We'll we'll see what happens there, but it, it is as I said, I, I'm still not at the point where I'm writing that piece that Ten Hag has to go. And look, going to Carrington on Friday, there was it was quite it was actually a departure uh, from the norm somewhat, but, but also quite pleasant that you go to a game. There's decent bonhomie between manager and reporters. You're looking forward to the game. United are quite confident they've come off a good win. They're going into a, a game feeling quite buoyant, uh, having had such a you know, spirited and uplifting comeback as they did against Villa. And it's a reminder of what it was like quite often last season. You look back to that month of February last season where they had eight games in 26 days. They won six, drew two, knocked out Barcelona, ended the month in the top four comfortably um, and, and won a cup final. And that showed the capabilities of the squad. But unfortunately also, I think that might be their peak under Ten Hag. And you look more and more at that February month last season. I look at it now as... It's like a, an international team at a tournament. There's this big bunch of condensed games. Eight games is one game more, I think, than having to get to the final of the Euros or the World Cup. And United essentially used it as a as an international tournament where they were absolutely switched on with their focus. Uh, they, they, as I said, they they won six of the games. They didn't lose. They pretty much got the job done in at every level possible. And they did all of that without Vekul starting up front in every game. That's how switched on they were and how impressive they were. And you can't just blame the drop off this season on on injuries. There are, yeah, it's been bad recruitment. Certain characters aren't up to it. Certain players, their form has just tailed off because they've not got the appetite, or you know, there there are other issues or whatnot. Um, there, there are a myriad of reasons why they've dropped off this season, but that's that's got to be the frustrating thing for Ten Hag. They showed last season what they are capable of. This season, they seem incapable of it. That's all for part two of the Manchester is Red podcast. Join us for part three, where we take a look at the transfer window and have a brief chat about that trip to Wigan as well. No one covers Manchester United quite like the Manchester Evening News. And through our MUFC Pro app, you can support our journalism and become part of our United community. Getting the best experience ad-free, pop-up free and distraction free as well. Giving you the best news and interviews, great features and much more. Now is the perfect time to subscribe as we've just launched a special New Year offer which includes MEM Premium for just £12 for 12 months. Download the app and get started today.
Welcome back to the Manchester is Red podcast, Samuel N. Transfer window. Are you looking forward to this one or not? Because we often joke that we dread the transfer windows and how to shoot down incessant reports, usually from Portugal about you know, linked to someone. Um, this month, though, it's mainly about sales, isn't it? You've mentioned there in, in part two that United do need to sign someone by the end of the month. But in order to do so, facilitate that, they need to be getting rid of players first. And as we've seen historically, it's far easier said than done for United to actually sell players. Goodness, yeah. <laughs> That's putting it, putting it mildly. Even I still, I've, I've just already got the the vision of Donny van der Beek returning for the first day of, of pre-season at Carrington in, in July. Um, he, he would have to perform like a demon for Eintracht Frankfurt to, to agree to that deal. And look, I think it's 11 million euros rising to uh, 14 million euros. Uh, that's that's their option to buy, and if they take up that option, that's a big loss United are making on a on a 26 year old Netherlands international. He's still so young, school. isn't he? That is what is it's, unfathomable. You know, it's it's another it's another deal where you you have to take stock of it in terms of the circumstances that surrounded United signing him, and also why he went from this player who was bound for Real Madrid before the the uh, COVID pandemic into someone who has been in exile from the Dutch squad for three years nearly and has started four meaningful Premier League matches in, in, in three and a half years for Man United. Uh, that's there's A lot of that is on Van der Beek, but a lot of it is on United. I mean, going back to that time, he was on a short list, but Solskjaer would have rather have had Jack Grealish or James Madison. The problem... United was obviously one of the pandemic here because I think if if there was no COVID-19 pandemic I think Aston Villa get relegated that season and they have to sell Grealish and United are first in line to get him and, and they get Grealish so they have it all on Grealish but then Villa stay up on the final day at that point they're not under any pressure to sell United because of the pandemic partly, have not got the funds to dedicate on, on, on spending big on certain players. So, the, the, and also it was, it was Sancho was their prime target that summer as well. And by that point, James Madison had got wind that United wanted Grealish. So he signed a new contract with Leicester. So there's no way that he's, he's leaving. At Ajax, there is Van der Beek, who's available for £35 million up front who United had shortlisted and Ajax have to sell a player every summer. Here's someone who was going to Real Madrid, who has got good pedigree, who did brilliantly for Ajax in their previous season when they got to the Champions League semi-final. I remember when that deal was done, the consensus was overwhelmingly positive. I don't think anybody looked at that and thought, that's bad business for United. The, uh, they were... They were getting a player for half the fee that Grealish would have cost uh, at, that, at that point and Everyone had seen the potential of him at the Champions League, um, in the Champions League, in those games against Real Madrid and Juventus. But the problem was, and this is why it's particularly relevant now, was that the manager didn't want him. And of course, with Ten Hag, he's been getting players that he definitely wants, that are definitely his signings. And Van der Beek is an example of a club signing a player for the manager, rather than the manager essentially buying the player for himself. And it doesn't always work out. And Solskjaer just didn't want him. And we all remember those those first... I mean, Van der Beek came on and scored in his debut. He came on at Brighton. And I think he chased the ball down to get the corner that leads to that 
penalty that United score after after the game had actually ended. They had to restart the game for it and then get a win there. He had another. Um, he had a big role in the winning goal at Newcastle and their next Premier League win. At the start, people wondering why you're not starting this guy. Then he did start, and I think we all realised that's why Solskjaer doesn't start. Was it West Ham away? That's West Ham away. Yeah, that was. I think he started the first time in the Premier League the week before at Southampton. Did reasonably well. Comeback win in a. I think they had a midfield diamonds. Yeah, Cavani got a couple of goals, but then at West Ham a week later. United one 0 down at half time, and and Van der Beek is the one who who makes way. I don't think he ever actually recovered from that. United, I think that was that that could have been seen as the final nail in the coffin for him there and then. Uh, as I said, he started four meaningful Premier League games in three and a half years, and that was the second, and that was December twenty twenty. And Ten Hag came in, and I think he had an injury a little bit at the start of last season, but you never got the sense that he was going to. He was going to turn it around. I remember even pre-season in, in Perth and Van der Beek started against Aston Villa. And he just, the way I, I think of the way I described it at the time is that he looked like a Glyndebourne enthusiast who turned up at Glastonbury by mistake. Like he, he, he operated at a completely different pace from the rest of his teammates. And this was someone who was already two years into his career at United. He couldn't hack it, Everton on loan. I mean, I think that that will be one of these you know, quizzes. Like, can you remember that Donny Van der Beek played played for Everton briefly? Um, so it's, I mean, it's, it's an interesting case study. Van der Beek just going through his United career, the circumstances behind signing him, why it didn't work out, and it's it's not exactly a cautionary tale because there have been so many recent signings that have gone all right. But it is a, a decent reminder of what happens if you're not completely on the same page um, as, as the manager or aligned with recruitment. But sometimes you do just have to you have to say no. And we've, we've I don't think we've even mentioned Anthony. But you look at the checks and um, the checks and balances for for signing the, the, in, in Ten Hag's first summer, his first and last signing, Malassia and Anthony. And it was all about old Tyrell Molassio impressed him uh, playing for final against Ajax when Ten Hag was Ajax coach. For Molassio to have impressed, he had had to have performed against Anthony. That is not a litmus test of a Manchester United fullback. And I, I, I barely watched Anthony, but just looking, just kind of like even just looking at him with and looking at the clips of him. I did not get an impression that this was someone who was absolutely tailor-made for, for Man United. And he he just looks like a complete write-off. The, the new man, if a new manager comes in later on this year, I don't think anybody's necessarily expecting Anthony to, to flourish under them. Um, so in terms of the you know, dealings this month, yes, Van der Beek has, has gone, maybe not permanently. Sancho, if, if, if he's still at the club this time, next month then something has gone badly wrong there because he's had four months to prepare for a departure he, he should be going probably permanently this month but it's it's not like anything has been suggested to be imminent there at all um just yet and i suppose do you also, think the match situation as well plays into that though? i was just about to what's say. the point of sal sancho if you maybe get ready to target anyway yeah i mean i'd always say the principle of um just the principle of a very unapolo- an un- unapologetic player who accused the Man United manager of lying publicly. 
I think you need to get a shot of them for good. It doesn't matter who the next manager is, but whether Ineos are of that viewpoint remains to be seen. And of course, I think he will also be, say Ten Hag is, is in charge in, in early February and Sancho is still there. I think it'll be telling if Sancho is still, if they're both still at the club, because the way it's going, at least one of them cannot be at the club by the end of this transfer window. And at the moment, you'd still say that has to be Sancho and I completely agree with that. But we have seen how things quickly can change. Um, Marshall, in the summer, he was unsellable because he was injured for almost the entirety of it. We've come around to January and he's not been in the uh, he's not been in the picture for three weeks. I think it's been he's he's been unwell. He's been un- unavailable, not been seen in um, any training imagery or footage either. But this is the last window they have um, to to obtain a fee for him, if that's at all possible. I suspect it's it, it's. I mean, he's such a tough sell. He's a tough sell to even a Saudi Pro League club. Just the injury record, the lack of goals, it's not a compelling case to go out and, and sign someone like that at this stage. Um, but he's going to be available on a free in the summer. And there, there would be clubs that would look at him and say, yeah, he's worth he's worth taking. He's, he's, he's not completely a lost cause. He's, he's 28. There's maybe a, a, a relatively big club in him yet for him to have a, a decent next five years or end of his career. But I think it's a long shot for United to be getting a fee for him this month. What do you think a realistic January transfer window looks like for United? Then we're recording this 2nd January. Donny van der Beek, like I said, has been loaned out with the view to make it permanent. Sancho, you'd potentially line up. Marshall, if an offer came in. You've also got, like I said, Wan-Bissaka and Hannibal, both technically out of contract at the end of the season. If an offer came in for them, then potentially you'd have to certainly listen to it. What is the realistic, though? Do you think United do sign anyone by the end of the month? Do you think that those big players do actually leave? Uh, I, I, I don't think the way it stands, just because of Marshall's um, uh, situation with where he's just out of the picture because he's, he's unwell. I think that's just a lot would have to happen for for him to not be at United this time next month. Um, it's it's very difficult to shift someone when 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 they're injured or whether they're. they're or if they've got an ailment, and also normally by this time his agent has you know has, has made it very clear that Marshall wants to go or Marshall is going, and I've not not heard a peep from Philippe Lombele. He's, he's he's undermined a couple of Manchester United managers in the past, but he's not um, gone to that length just yet with 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 Ten Hag and with Sancho. As I said, he he has to go. I, the, I find it very strange the way they're going about these contract extensions because yesteryear, a player was was notified that their one-year option had been taken up by a letter in the post, which is very bizarre. Now, it just seems as though United are uh, beating about the bush with, with certain players. Like with Wan-Bissaka and Hannibal Mejbri, there is, okay, they're not, they're not first teams necessarily, but there's clear resale value in, in those two. You can imagine Wan-Bissaka playing for the majority of other Premier League clubs next season. So you are going to trigger that extension at some point. The, the prospect of him playing abroad, I, I can't see that. I don't think anybody can see that. So why why are they just not... Because Ten Hag has said, we're having talks with the players. Well, it shouldn't work that way. All they've got to do is just, you know, have the player into the office and say, we've extended your contract. Um, it doesn't mean that, you, that we'll keep you beyond the summer, but 
you're an important member of the squad. Yeah, we see value in you. Uh, you you're an asset. We've got to protect you as an asset as well. And look, we'll reassess your situation in the summer. You're going to get opportunities. Let's see how we go from there. And if we're going to negotiate a new contract, we will do. If we're going to negotiate a transfer, we will do. It's not difficult. But United are making it difficult. Like they're, as I said, they're they're not. Hannibal Mesbury, they spent 10 million euros on in 2019. He's had some decent first team exposure this season. He, there is every chance that he'll he'll move abroad at some point this year. But obviously, you want to obtain a fee for that. So, what's what's the delay? What's the way? I just especially I just when they've been so it. ruthless with youth players in last sort of two windows or so. Do we, if they've realised a youth player is not going to make it, they cash in on them. And, and you've got to try and get a better fee for them as well. Yeah, they the ones who pretty much all of them who left in the summer, they were just almost given away just yeah. to. And it was this sell of well, there's a massive selling clause if they do well. Yeah, that's a huge if, isn't it? Yes. Ultimately. Yeah. I mean, none of them made. Um, made a move that really, you know, made you sit back and, and take notice. Um, I mean, did Ethan Laird, who I thought at one point had a decent chance of, yeah, have, having a career at United. Did, did he go to QPR? Yeah. Then, or was it Birmingham? QPR. Was, Bur- was it Birmingham? It was at QPR on loan last yeah. season, but he joined Birmingham um, permanently this season, I think. And um, yeah, I've, I've, you look at you. Know, we only just discussed Birmingham earlier. Look, look, look where they are. It's it's not going well for anyone there. Wigan, like you said, 18th in League One. Do you ring the changes for that game in a week's time? Do you want to see the likes of Ahmad start a match? Do you want to try and give some players who have been on the periphery a chance to prove themselves? Or do you think, look, there's only two games potentially this month. You have to win it and you have to play your strongest team available. I mean, the question was asked even of Ten Hag, would Onana be available for the win game? Would you even play him? Would you play Binder instead? Well, the... The talk in the mood at United is, you know, why would you rotate heavily? I mean, I, I don't think we're going to see a team akin to, um, to to the to the eleven that Swartz Ferguson occasionally put out in FA Cup games. But it's almost a decent quiz question: the the eleven that started against Exeter in that nil nil draw back in two thousand five, and it's some very very niche names would have appeared in that team. Whereas with this Wigan one, because of they're coming on the back off the back of a defeat as well, and the FA Cup is their only chance of silverware this season, and where the month is so clear as well, they have to play. It's going to be a strong team that plays that game. I think the goalkeeper situation again. United are making a mountain out of a molehill there. Like Anana has not been performing um, at a level that suggests that he will be sorely missed. You're going to have to play. Ainda at some point the if, if you're really trying to keep Andre Anana for a game against a League One team it just looks a bit strange now also it doesn't reflect well on Bainder who they said doesn't, this, reflect this well on, well. doesn't reflect well on either of them it's I remember earlier in the season I think um, with the, the Palace League Cup game it was seen as a surprise that Anana started that and Ten Hag said afterwards oh, we want him to build up his confidence because it, the week earlier he'd made the mistake against Bayern Munich so it was ensuring that he stayed in the team they didn't even want to take him out of the team for a game like that maybe if they were playing a, a, a championship or a league one side they they would have made that change in goal but it was such an obvious night especially given that Palace just hit the eject button themselves from the league cup but if you're really trying to keep Banana um, in play just for a cup game against a, a relegation fodder in, in league one that, that just that doesn't say a lot of 
that doesn't suggest that the manager has a great deal of confidence in the backup goalkeeper that was signed on deadline day and has still not made his debut. So I, I, I just say to an eye, go to AFCON, you try and get your confidence up with your national team, have a good tournament there, come back. And I think it's a maximum of five five games that he could miss. Uh, it's it's not it's not the end of the world. I mean, United have had Januarys where they've played nine games before. They could play most likely three games this month. So it's not it's it's not an end of day scenario. And as I said, it's not like United are fighting for the title, and it's not like Anana has been performing brilliantly either. There, there has to come a point where you play Bayinda. And also, if Bayinda plays and he's an absolute disaster, then you can put Tom Heaton in against Tottenham on um, on the Sunday because that has to come into consideration as well, uh, where Bayinda is, is seen as a bit of an unknown quantity. I mean, he, he looks pretty decent in the warm-ups before games, but that's, um, that's, that's very different to actually starting a competitive game for United. And, and beyond that, I think you've just got to freshen the team up a bit but also it's, it's it's going to be kept quite strong I think that um, I suspect that with, with Hoyland back he'll probably revert to Rashford on the left Garnacho on the right Fernandes will start uh, Kobe Mainu has to start I mean, the, going back to the Mainu substitution at Forest it was quite amusing reading um, on, on the United websites that their version of those quotes the context yeah. offers context, offers context. And yeah. I'm surprised they didn't even mention how the, the, the mileage uh, that, that, that Mainu clocked up in that game it was oh he's, he's 18 he's only started his Premier League first Premier League game the other month and what not the fact that there was an, there's a nine day gap between games and um, that he did all and this is a guy time. who played what 80 minutes at Anfield played what 35 minutes at yeah, so it was brilliant in both 80 odd minutes against Aston Villa. Um, like if, but he can't handle 45 minutes of the city ground. And, and it, was a, it, was a, it was an appalling first half as well. It wasn't exactly a, a taxing first half for anyone in that game. It wasn't intense, very, very rarely intense. So yeah, Maynou and I think Maynou, if you can't play Maynou and Eriksen against Wigan, then there's, there's got to be something wrong there. They've, they've, they've shown reasonable promise, if not against Forest, then against Villa. Um, Evans and Brown, I suppose, and if Luke Shaw's back, Luke Shaw left back, probably Dallo right back, and you look at that team, you think that that team is is comfortably good enough to beat to beat a League One team. I, I I don't think we'd necessarily necessarily say they're comfortably good enough to beat a Premier League team given United's form, but uh, if if they put a team out like that, it should be a it should be a, a good night for the six thousand odd United fans in the away end. Said should a lot of times, I didn't. Yeah, we we will see. I we'll see what happens when we come back for the Manchester Red podcast. Uh, Producer Seb, are we doing one later in the week? We will be back later in the week then. Okay, you'll get more William preview then if you do subscribe. Um, yeah, we shall see. We'll get Samuel's final verdict then on the on the game. Reflections right there. on Ben Amos ahead of his reunion. <laughs> uh, thank you very much, Samuel, for joining us. Thank you, Rich. Podcast. Thank you very much again, wherever you are in the world for listening. As always, please do leave a like, a review, and subscribe if you haven't already. If you're watching on YouTube, thank you very much. If you're not, the link will be in the description below. Make sure you do that. Also, there will have been an advert this podcast for the Manchester. Uh, evening news premium app make sure you give that a go while we have the offer on this month take care and we'll see you again next time